This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. It's a wonderful privilege to be with you all this morning. Uh, For those of you who were here two weeks ago, um, we had Anthony come up to speak, and similar to him, Sophie and I only joined the church just over a year ago, and and I can tell you when we joined, I I didn't expect uh, just a little over a year later to be up here myself. Um, I'm going to be continuing our series on the Psalms. It's it's a psalm that many of you may know well, Psalm 23. Um, It's been a favourite of believers for many centuries now. And, uh, and, and some of you may even be able to recite it to me. It's only six verses. Um, and so there's going to be a lot of familiarity here. And, and I want to start by saying that, so I, I knew a pastor um, who would describe his ministry as one of underlining. He wouldn't always tell people things they didn't know, but the things he told them that they did know would get underlined and reinforced, and, and they would be reminded of, of truths. And, and so whilst many of you may already know this psalm well, and, and if you didn't, you could probably read it in about a minute anyway, um, my hope is that if I can simply underline some new, uh, some, some old truths to you this morning, although I will try to tell you some new things as well, um, just some, some truths and some wisdom that we need in this time, then I think that'll be mission accomplished. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, um, please turn with me to Psalm 23. It will be up on the screen. Uh, I will quickly pray, and then we will dive in. There we are. Father, thank you for bringing us all here today, Lord. We're only gathered here because of you, because of your goodness and your glory. And Lord, I just ask this morning that you would be the one doing the underlining. Father, that anything I say, Lord, it doesn't come from me, it comes from you. And if if I'm to say anything this morning, Father, that's not of you, let it be forgotten. But I pray that you'd be underlining the things you want us to know and to take away. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I kind of find this idea of a shepherd to be a bit of a foreign concept. I don't often call God my shepherd when I'm praying or thinking about him. I'd I'd sooner call him my father or my savior or, or my king. My judge even might come to mind, but not my shepherd. A shepherd in the days of Israel was not a particularly ambitious job. It didn't pay very well. It was often passed down, actually, to the youngest child, sort of a, a fob-off job, so that they could look after the, uh, the sheep whilst the other children were preparing to be something, to be soldiers or, or, or to, be, to be somebody aspirational. 
And so the youngest boy would go out into the field and the rest of the, the children and the family would go off into the city or off to war. And, and this is how we're first introduced to the psalm by the writer David. As you may well know, David went on to become possibly one of Israel's most affluent kings. But when we meet him, in fact, we don't even really meet him because his father Jesse is lining up all his sons before a prophet for one of them to be chosen as king and David's forgotten at home to be with the sheep. Well, when we think of a shepherd, many of us might think of a sheep farmer. Sophie and I like watching a show called Our Yorkshire Farm. Has anyone seen that? Okay, if you know, yeah, it's a good show. For those of you who don't know, it's, it's, it's a really wholesome show about a family who live on Raven Seat Farm in Yorkshire. So they're Howard sort of people. And, <laughs> and uh, the, the Yorkshire people, I mean, not, not that he's into farmers. Um, and they have sheep and cattle and, and nine children. I, I don't know how they have nine children, but... Um, I would definitely recommend it if you're not into farming. It's going to get you into farming. But the thing is, a Middle Eastern shepherd isn't like a British shepherd or a Yorkshire sheep farmer. It's, it's, helpful, it's a helpful starting point, but if we take our perception, our, our, our ideas of, of what a shepherd is and place them onto this arm, we'll likely end up with a skewed idea of who's being described. So I think it's important to draw some clear distinctions to help us to understand this text. And, and the first distinction is that our shepherds over here drive their sheep. With aid of a dog or on a quad bike, they'll get behind them, and, and using really fear as the main motive, they will scare them in the right direction, and they'll scare them into the pen or, or, or in the path that they need to go. But in the Middle East, it's the complete opposite. A shepherd doesn't get behind the sheep to, to, to scare them and drive them. A shepherd leads from the front. And so the shepherd will walk out singing a song that's familiar, and the sheep, hearing the song, will simply follow led by the shepherd, almost besotted by the shepherd. And I've got a great story here, actually, I'm going to read out for you from a biblical scholar called E.F. Bishop. He tells a story from the 1930s in Palestine. A village near Hifa, Haifa, Hifa, Haifa, sorry, <laughs> um, was condemned to collective punishment by having its sheep and cattle confiscated by the government. The inhabitants, however, were permitted to redeem their possessions at a fixed price. Among them was an orphan shepherd boy whose six or eight sheep and goats were pretty much all he had in the world for life and work. Somehow he managed to obtain the money for their redemption, and so he went to the big enclosure and handed over the money to the British sergeant in charge. The NCO told him he was welcome to grab the equivalent number of sheep to what he owned, but ridiculed the idea that he could possibly pick out his little flock upon hundreds that had been confiscated. Well, this little shepherd boy thought differently because really he knew better and singing out among the sheep, his own separated from the rest of the animals and trotted after him. I just think that's amazing. My, my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me comes to mind. And in that same way that a shepherd leads, Israel, Israel had many leaders who started as shepherds. We have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, David, just to name the first few, the list goes much on. And the Bible teaches that in life there are good leaders and bad leaders, and so in a similar way there are good shepherds and bad shepherds. All sheep need a shepherd because sheep without a shepherd are ultimately lost, unable to sustain themselves. Sheep have a tendency to wander off. And so think about the words of Isaiah, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. But the thing is, when Isaiah wrote that, Israel did have leaders. They had shepherds, but they were bad shepherds. And so you see, a sheep with a bad shepherd is actually no better off than a sheep with no shepherd at all. 
you're still going to be led astray. You're still going to wander off to your own way. At the moment, we're actually awaiting a new shepherd for our country, you might say, a new leader to lead our country. And depending on your political preferences this morning, you may have already made up your mind which candidate falls into which category, or maybe both of them fall into the same category. I'll leave that with you. But the truth is, we're surrounded by shepherds. We might refer to them sometimes as influencers. Instagram's full of shepherds. Twitter's full of shepherds. YouTube is full of shepherds. And the health of the sheep is entirely dependent on the type of shepherd they have. A good shepherd will satisfy their sheep, but a bad shepherd will leave them hungry and unsatisfied and wanting more. Those words in verse 1, I lack nothing. Sometimes, you, you might be more familiar with the old King James Version, it says, I shall not want. Uh, sometimes people struggle with that wording. But it really means, I have all I really need. It doesn't necessarily mean I have all I want, but I have everything that I need. And when the Lord is your shepherd, you have all you need. So the first thing I just really want to highlight for you this morning as we go through this is that we all, like sheep, are in need of a good shepherd. And I wonder, as I say that, do you believe it? Let's go on to verse 2 and 3. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and then he refreshes my soul. Here in Cheltenham, we're surrounded by grass fields, green grass fields. Well, maybe not at the moment, actually. Most of the fields are basically brown, dead, and, and you might describe them as similar to hay because of the heat. But, but Sophie and I, when we moved here, we loved getting out into the countryside because you can just get into the middle of nowhere, and all you see around is just green everywhere. And, and having spent our student lives in a city, it's, it's a nice change, I would say. But the thing is, in Israel, fields are used primarily for corn and vines. So there's no green grass, there's not even any hay to sustain the sheep, and they have to go in search of it. Part of the reason why a shepherd has to lead them. Sometimes a shepherd will lead his sheep up to 15 miles a day on foot. And I read of one group of shepherds in Palestine climbing an 8,500 foot mountain regularly just to find green pasture for them. A shepherd's job is 24 hours. He walks with them, he sleeps with them. In Song of Solomon it says, Tell me you who I love where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Where you graze your flock. So what are we grazing on? Well, we live in a consumerist culture. Much like our fields, we're surrounded by content to fill us. Uh, but much like our fields today, much of the content we fill us with is really dead. And so Sophie and I actually, <clears throat> Tom's not in here today, but inspired by Tom Bradbury, we have a bedroom ban on our phones at the moment. And, and I'll be honest, it's going with varying degrees of success. Um, <laughs> But it's because we would get into bed and just fill our minds with mostly bad content. And even the best content we would find, tips about how to do life better, tips about how to, uh, how to live better and have better health or whatever, probably controversially, I'd say even the best content that we consume is ultimately dead content. And why do I say that? How do I know? Well, because it leaves me unsatisfied, hungry, and restless. No amount of scrolling is ever going to be enough. I'll keep scrolling. And God would sooner have us spend our time in his words. The Bible describes him as the spring of living water that never runs dry, where ultimately we will be satisfied. Instead, I spend my life scrolling. And part of that is because I'm not good at reading my Bible. I, my failed goal every day, genuinely, my failed goal every day is to read the Bible and study it more. 
And the few times I actually succeed at that goal, that half an hour to an hour, depending on how much time I've managed to get in, it's enough to satisfy me for the entire day. I don't need to be filled with anything else. Far more, I would say, than any number of hours scrolling could have achieved. I'm not good at reading my Bible, so what are we feeding on and who are we following? I love this quote from one pastor, which actually um, will be up on the screen. Whenever someone opens the mouth of his faith to drink, scripture nourishes and grows multiple trees in the field of the church. Indeed, these are the still waters which nourish human souls, anchor them in hope, raise them from hopelessness, command them to work, establish them in love, and foremost, give them stored up nourishment to produce all the fruit of the heavenly kingdom. I don't know about you, but I want that nourishment. Incidentally, just going back to the, uh, to the verse, you can't force a sheep to lie down. He makes me lie down is what it says. Sheep are very timid creatures. They spend most of their life on their feet or moving from one place to another. You can't, um, you, you can't even get a sheep to drink unless it's a specific type of water. It has to be still water because the anatomy of a sheep means they can't drink from flowing or, or moving water. And so I heard of one account where a shepherd led his sheep to a river and they raced up to it full of thirst and stood there just staring at it, unable to drink. And so you have to lead a sheep to green pasture and still water. And if you do that and they have their fill satisfied, they will lie down. But you can't force them. And so when we enter into the Lord's presence, the Bible teaches that the most natural response is rest. It's he makes me lie down. I can't help but lie down. And then that phrase in verse 3, he refreshes my soul, which I've highlighted in yellow. Um, it's, it's not completely reflective of the meaning behind the verse. I, I've kept that up there because it's true to the NIV, but I don't think it's the best translation. Uh, actually, lots of translations nowadays have rejected that and gone with he restores, which I think probably gets you more there. The meaning is he brings me back, or, or some might, uh, might change it to mean he causes me to repent. That's the essence of what, what that verse is trying to say. And I mentioned that sheep tend to wander. You see, occasionally the way a sheep might decide to, uh, apologies, occasionally along the way a sheep might decide to wander from the flock and take a different path. And they might end up finding themselves stuck in a place, stuck on a rock where they can see the flock but they have no way of getting back. And, and I said sheep are timid creatures and so when a sheep gets themselves lost, they become paralyzed with fear, completely unable to move. It's impossible for them to bring themselves back. And so the shepherd has to go out, and he has to put, them on, put the sheep on his shoulders and walk them back to the right path. We all have times in our lives when we stumble. We may have moments where we lose sight of the way. In those moments, it can be impossible to find your way back to discover the right path, it, to discover the passion when things are dry. Tara mentioned about about things being dry at the moment and, and, and how do we find ourselves back. And, and as I say, it can be impossible if not for the help of the shepherd. I was actually chatting to a friend recently about ongoing struggles and, and falling short of God and, and we were describing it as almost like being a repeat offender or, or like, a, like an alcoholic that, that can't stay away. No matter how hard we try to, to live the right way, we, you just you fall back in. And, and he said that he'd seen something really interesting on LinkedIn. Someone had posted up who was an ex-alcoholic and they'd said, you know, the truth is, I know that I have another relapse in me, but I don't know if I have another recovery. And I, I just thought that was actually really true sometimes, especially if you're struggling with something that's ongoing, 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 ongoing. 
you, you can guarantee you're going to mess up again, but you can't guarantee you're going to be able to find your way back. And as I thought about that in the days following, I, I thought, well, you're right, we don't, but it is impossible for us to bring ourselves back. But what's impossible for us is possible for God. And so the next thing I, I just want to highlight for you this morning, a, a takeaway, is that we all, like sheep, need a good shepherd to bring us back. We can't do it on our own. Let's go on to verse 4 and 5. Even though I walk through the darkest valley and you prepare a table before me. Well, the Christian journey isn't all green pastures and still waters. I think you'd probably all disagree with me if I came up here and said it was. We also have to encounter valleys along the way. See, in the Middle East, the landscape isn't the same as over here, as you might imagine. And so shepherds will often have to lead their sheep through great dark canyons that have been cut away from the rock over thousands of years by flowing streams of water. And in doing so, they risk a number of things. They risk flash floods with swells that can easily take them and their flock away. I, I read of a story of, of a flash flood in one of these canyons, and it raised to six foot and, and wiped them all away. They also risk deep darkness and narrow ledges. Some ledges in these canyons might not be more than a foot wide, and, and the sheep can lose their footing and slip and fall. And they might encounter predators. Uh, David, actually, before he is to take on Goliath, is giving his credentials to the king of why he should go forward. And he says, I killed bears and lions in defending my father's flock. Bears and lions. Thinking about that valley, in some older translations, you may be familiar with the valley of the shadow of death. That's, that's kind of a, a common phrase that, that we're all sort of familiar with. Well, I, I mention it because I think that word death can be a distraction. It's not actually in the original text. It's been added uh, in order to, to get some meaning out. I, I'm not sure I, I agree with the, the meaning entirely, but my point for mentioning that is that we don't have to be in the face of death to be in a dark valley. Don't get me wrong, death is a dark valley indeed, but we don't have to be in the, in the valley of the shadow of death to be in that place. And, and so John Bunyan is, is, is an, old, uh, uh, an old pastor and theologian you, you might describe him as from, um, from, I think it's the 1800s. And in his book, Pilgrim's Progress, he writes of the main character, Christian, going through such a dark valley that he could not see beyond his next step. And I say that because I think there may be some people here this morning who are in such a place where you can't see what's ahead. You, you, it's just blackness. And I've been through valleys at different times. I've not lived for very long, but I've been through valleys. Uh, before we came to Cheltenham, I found myself in such a miserable place. I was in a high-pressure job. It wasn't paid particularly well. It was toxic, and there was little support. If I left, I had no experience or qualifications to gather me, uh, guarantee me other work, and I'd be unable to keep a promise that I made to my wife that I would be able to provide for her. So I had to stay. That same job, actually, ironically, I had triumphantly originally believed God had given it to me. What a wonderful job. God's really provided. And it turned out to be a very dark valley for me. As time went on, it got darker, and I became more and more broken eventually unable to, to see the next day, unable to see anything in front of me. I was at one point, honestly, nothing more than a shell. And I remember Sophie coming home from work one day, and, and all I could say to her was, I, I just can't do this anymore. But I, didn't, I couldn't see what I could do. And even as I, I share that one story with you, I know there's going to be people here who are probably going through much worse. 
So how do we find comfort? How do we throw off fear, as, as, as the psalm says? Well, firstly, I want to highlight that the valley is something to be gone through. Uh, and I did actually highlight it up there. It's not a place left to remain. When you're in the valley, it certainly feels that way. And whilst we may enter, the shepherd is faithful to lead his sheep through and out the other side. I do believe that that job was given to me by God, and I do believe it was necessary to go through a dark valley, but to go through. And secondly, those, those words, you are with me, it's, n- it's only by the shepherd's presence that the sheep are led through. If anyone is here this morning in that place, the one thing I want to say to you is he is with you. In John Bunyan's story that I mentioned earlier, Christian starts to wonder if he should turn back. It's getting pretty dark, and, and, and as I said, he can't see the way, so he thinks, there must be a better way. Maybe I should just turn back and find another way until he hears another voice. And he hears a voice. He can't see who it is. He hears this voice slightly on ahead, actually reciting this very psalm, reciting those words, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And realizing he's not walking alone, the sheep are part of a flock, and that if God is with that other person, then it stands to reason that surely God would be with him also. And so he presses on. And when I found myself in that dark place that I mentioned before, every day the only thing that got me through was prayer and the word of God. And I'm not saying that to sound pious or anything, but because I had no other place to turn. We'd be watching TV in the evening and I'd be so consumed by anxiety and worries I couldn't, couldn't pay attention. Couldn't tell you what had happened on TV for half an hour, an hour. And so I had no choice. What I had to do was get up, go to our spare room, which was my place of prayer at the time, and I just had to pray and pray and pray until the fear left me. And I had another time a few years before that I was in a similar place, consumed by anxiety. And in that time I learnt to worship. And so I would get into my room and I would worship 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 until the anxiety left. And not because I wanted to worship. When you're in that place, you don't want to worship. Why would I want to go and sing? Or I mean, I was a student, so I was living with housemates, so I was just going and mouthing because I didn't want them to hear me. But honestly, the anxiety always left. It always left eventually if I resolved to fix my eyes on Jesus for long enough. It wasn't always quick, but it always left. And the reason a shepherd can take care of his sheep in that time is because he has a few tools. So I just want to mention these as the psalm does. The first tool is a rod. It's actually that, that one on the, uh, on the left. I forgot my left and right for a second then. And it's a bit different to a um, it's a bit different to a staff. It's a short, stubby stick, as you can see, with a hard round end. And the reason for that is that it could be used as a weapon, a bit like a police baton, actually, and, and probably as effective. And, and a few blows from a shepherd's rod could kill a lion or a bear if it was done correctly. And so any any danger that might be fatal to the sheep the shepherd can take care of. But the rod actually has a second function in respect of the sheep. And, and no, it's not to hit the sheep. It's, it's that at the end of each day, the shepherd would grab the rod and he would hold it horizontally. And the sheep one by one would pass underneath and he would count them one, two, three, to make sure they were all there. 
And so a shepherd is able to count his sheep to make sure they are all safe and with him. And it brought me great comfort in that place as well to know that as I was going through the dark valley, I was still counted as his. And for anyone going through a dark valley today, or, or if you encounter one in the future, know this, if you call him your shepherd, you are counted. You are still counted. No matter how dark it gets, you are counted. The second item is, is a, a bit more, uh, as you'd expect, it's just a, a staff, a shepherd's crook that we've got on the right. And that's designed specifically with the sheep in mind. Sometimes shepherds will use them to lean on, but, but the hook is so that if a sheep loses its footing in one of those canyons or places, if a shepherd can just hook one of its legs, he can pull it back to safety and into its care. And sometimes for me, it might have been a word or a song or, or a verse of scripture. But if I would call out to him, he would always hook me back again. So the next thing I want to highlight to you this morning is that we all, like sheep, need a good shepherd to keep us. I'm just going to jump back to, to those verses for a second and go to verse 5. I think this is one maybe less of us will relate to. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. As Christians, we will have enemies. We might not now, but we will do. Not because of who we are, but because of whose we are. And I find that it's those Christians with the most enemies in, in the greatest persecution who experience the most blessing. Sophie and I were mentoring a girl in Cardiff a few years back who had converted to Christianity from Islam. And she had to give up her entire family in order to make that decision. In fact, it was only earlier this year that her parents finally said, nope, enough is enough. We don't want to know you anymore. You're not a part of this family. She got messages that were severe threats to her health. Next time I see you, you better know there's acid in my pocket. But in spite of that, the anointing God has given her the way she hears him, the joy she has for him, far exceeds anything I know, because he prepares a table in that place. I believe those darkest times of my life were, were necessary, as I said, to get me to the pasture, whilst they brought great pain and suffering. For me, some of the greatest suffering I've known, the joys of being in his presence when I went into that room and, and just, just with gritted teeth said, Lord, you've got you to take this away from me and just waited and waited and prayed and prayed. The joy of being at his table in those moments is far greater than any other joy I've had of my life. So as we move on to verse six now and, and, and come into a close, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, some translations of goodness and love have goodness and mercy, it's, it's, it's similar. But the final role of, of our shepherd that, that I want to raise to you this morning is, is that a shepherd doesn't just lead from the front, but as the flock go, a shepherd might employ another, and he'll send another to walk behind and assist those sheep on their way. A good shepherd doesn't just go ahead, but ensures that we're followed from behind to be kept under his care, to be kept in his house forever. A shepherd who not only pioneers, but perfects. Now, the sheep have a responsibility in all this, and that's that whilst the shepherd will care for them, they must also follow. David here says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's almost like at a wedding, will you take this person, or, or, or to the congregation, will you support these people 
I will. So it's a matter of will and determination. The sheep have to follow the shepherd. And let me tell you this morning, there's only one way that leads to still waters and green pastures. There's only one way that leads through the darkest valley. There's only one way that ends at the table and only one truly good shepherd. Psalm 23, unsurprisingly, follows Psalm 22. And this is important because it's in Psalm 22 where we learn of a shepherd who died for his sheep to keep them on the path of righteousness so that they may dwell in his house forever and eat at his banquet and lie down in his care. And then this is followed by Psalm 24 where the same shepherd is hailed as a king of glory. Well, I know that most of you know who the shepherd is already this morning. His name is Jesus. And I would just part by saying these two things. Unless we proclaim his death and resurrection, we have no place in calling him our shepherd. But if we do, we can be assured of his faithfulness to lead us on forever. Thank you. I'm going to hand over now. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.